This week on the Pete the Planner Show, we answer your money questions. Here's how the show works. You email us, askpete at petetheplanner.com. That's askpete at petetheplanner.com. We will receive your question. We will use your question to do amazing things. Educate others, learn a little for ourselves, and create content for our media platforms, one of which is this here radio show, of course, our podcast, and today, a special live stream, Black Friday live stream, live on Facebook. We always record our show live. That's how you record a show. Uh, noon Eastern on Facebook, the Pete the Planner page. And by we, I mean Damian Dunn, my friend. Hello, Damian. Hello, Pete. Vice President of Advice at Your Money Line and Hey Money. Happy Thanksgiving. I hope you had a good time with your family. It was great. Likewise, hope uh, hope everything is well and everybody is healthy in your house. Uh, thank you. I appreciate that. And I feel the same about you. Dame, did you, uh, quickly, before we move on to actual financial questions, did you make any Thanksgiving dishes yourself? Like th- that was your responsibility. And uh, you know what I mean? Do drinks count? Uh, yes. One. Yes, one. Wow. Okay. Excellent. Uh, for those uh, listening on Facebook Live, you can always interact with us, be part of the show. Uh, down in Texas right now, we know Jameson is listening along with his son, Lincoln, smart young lad, very savvy money teen. Lincoln, go to school and be like, hey, I'm a savvy money teen and see see how far that goes in getting you friends. All right. So, Dame, first question of the day is an open-ended one, and it is from a guy named Gary. Uh I'm trying to discover your methods or philosophy of handling money in a prosperous way. Could you let me know, please? Thanks, Gary. So, Dame, there's so many ways to go with this because we are here to help people understand our philosophy of handling money in a prosperous way. Absolutely. Can Can I start with something that I figured out about 10 years ago? And it's that My goal as an individual, as my own entity within my own house, my goal isn't to accumulate as much money as possible. Like that's just not my personal philosophy. A lot of people feel that way. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I I think there's something that you are using that that I am a big fan of as well. And you've talked about it on the show multiple times is that's having ground rules inside of your house and making sure that you uh, apply those rules and obey those or you know follow those rules at, at all times. So if if you have a a, a, a rule that says uh, we need to accomplish this, this and this uh, each and every month, fantastic. And once you get beyond those things, that's where you can start deciding what you're going to do with that extra surplus, whether you're going to be uh, a very charitable with it, whether you're going to stash it away in different places, um, whatever you're going to do with it, that's when I think you can really start to feel that um, prosperity, maybe that the, the, that Gary is hinting at a little bit. Um, and the total amount of money that you make becomes um, almost a lever of how much uh, you can do with it outside of your core goals. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I see, I believe, I believe there are two economic resources that we are all to some degree blessed with, and that is money and there that is time. Uh, so I just view money as a, an, another resource, just like I view time. And so as I think about prosperity and I think about wealth, I think, how do I want to leverage the finite amount of time that I have in my life? By the way, it is both undefined and finite. 
And I want to uh, leverage the undefined and finite amount of money that I will earn my entire life. And so that's where it begins. It's like, how do you make the best use of only so much money, knowing that when times are good, you probably need to set more aside than you want to. And when times are bad, you need to make sure that there's money there to, to deal with. And I'll also note, Dame, uh, a big part of this has to do with little snippets that I send you and our team every once in a while. People I see on Twitter who oversimplify the financial planning process. And I send them to us not to make fun of the person who's really giving very trite financial advice, but to, to say, look, it's not that simple. Yes, there's one piece of financial advice. Spend less than you earn. That's it. That's the only piece of financial advice. But it's a lot deeper than that because it's about behavior and resources and making sure that your money and your time is going to things that are both important to you and that enhance uh, both you and your family and your community's standing. How about that for the world's longest run on sentence? It was fantastic. I, I do want to stay on that time and money uh, concept a little bit because as you become uh, more successful and you have more margin, uh, more free cash that you can decide what to do with, it becomes easy to identify good um, good uses for that money. Uh, and it's um, sometimes easier just to write a check than to give your time uh, for certain things. And if you're not careful, at least this has been my, uh, my experience personally, I start spending less time on things instead of getting in and becoming personally involved, invested in certain things. I just uh, stay kind of on the fringes and, and contribute some money here, contribute some money there and feel like, oh, well, I've done my part. And that's not the same. Your time is very, very valuable to spend it wisely, whether it's with your family, whether it's with your friends or whether it's bettering your community, don't think that a check versus your time have the same impact because they certainly don't. There are certain things that money is very beneficial for, but for you to actually show up and have a hand in something has benefits not only for the project at large, but for yourself and your family uh, being a good example for your kids and, and those that, that care about you as well. So uh, don't think that money solves all problems because it certainly doesn't. Sometimes you just have to be involved. One of the strange byproducts of the work that you and I and our team does on a regular basis is we've we've learned how to handle our money pretty pretty well, right? Like we we know how to get out of a lot of jams uh, financially, and and I also note that one of the big challenges that people have in managing money is they don't know how much money they actually need, which I think is the essential base step to all of this. If and in, in asking the question, you're evaluating it right now, you're evaluating it in the future and far into the future. And to blindly just say, well, I want to accumulate assets or just make as much money as possible is a little bit strange. I had a friend in college who was going to go to law school. And I remember, I don't know why I remember this. And it, it, I, the fact that I remember it makes it seem like a made up story. But this, this conversation has always stuck with me. And every time I see him, on Facebook or in person, I always think of this. I'm, I'm not going to give his name. And I remember saying, hey, dude, uh, I didn't say it that way. Uh, what kind of law are you going to go into? And he said, whatever one pays the most. And I remember him saying that, and, it, and this is where my leave it to beaver upbringing is going to get exposed here. I I'd, I'd literally in my life, until I was probably 21 when I heard that, I had never, ever, ever heard anyone express that sort of sentiment 
because that's not the way I was raised. And it was this very eye-opening, like, whoa, wow, that's a, that's a thing? Am I crazy for thinking that, Dame? No. I, in fact, if I had to guess, did he come from a family with a little bit of means? Um, no. Uh, I can't expose too much. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> he, he came from a very rural community in which I think they did, they did fine. But it wasn't sort of an urban, you know, private school, even though we were both at a private school. Uh, it, it wasn't that sort of thing. Yeah, I, I've had similar experiences uh, with, with some of my uh, acquaintances and friends. And it's interesting to see uh, that that opinion in the backgrounds uh, that those folks come from. And I, I guess I was trying to apply <laughs> the, the experiences I've had sure. to, to potentially your story. So. Well, well, Dame, let's do this. So that's our philosophy is that money uh, from a prosperity standpoint is simply a resource and you, your goal is to leverage it both now and later to get the experience that you want for you, your family, your friends, and your community. And we'll leave it at that. Dame, coming up after the break, I might tell you a story that could get us in trouble or I might just save it for between segments. I have not quite decided yet. All that's next on the Pete the Planner Show. I'm Pete the Planner. Back on the Pete the Planner Show. Dame, as we all adjust to this new normal, there are certain processes that uh, were once private but fa- feel a lot more public now, despite the fact that they're still private. Dame, of course, I'm talking about visiting your physician. Dame, this past week, actually today, the day we're recording this show, Black Friday, I had a virtual appointment with my physician, uh, Teladoc. I, I don't know what it's called. I was live chatting on the internet with a man who asked me to remove my clothes. And so, Dame, here's the thing. Um, it made sense. But wow, was it weird. It's weird enough when you're in the doctor's office and you're sitting with your pants hung over a chair and a, and a person walks in and you don't really know them. And the first thing they do is wash their hands and you're like, well, where is this going? Well, in this virtual appointment, First of all, he complimented me on my my audiovisual setup, and I said, Thank you. <laughs> "That's great lighting." And I'm like, "What? Are we filming something here?" And then I, I had to show him a spot on my shoulder or something. I'm a ginger. This is not that unusual. And let me just tell you, having someone ask to see parts of your body on the internet, and then like it was very on demand, very meta. Like I felt like a cam guy. Like he should have been paying me. <laughs> And he's like, and, and he would give orders like, okay, a little closer, hold still. And I was like, uh, and I, I, it was very strange. Dame, next question we had via email this week is, Pete, uh, are you still a strong advocate of using a credit freeze as a means of minimizing the consequences of identification theft? Ken. Dame, I mean... Yeah. I mean, is there any more time uh, time in history that people go out there trying to steal people's identities more than right now? I, it all starts with freezing your credit. It's one of the core things I think that we talk to people about uh, when we, we uh, have conversations with folks uh, on at Your Money Line and, and uh, Hey Money. So it's a simple process. Uh, you're going to have to do it three times because there's three credit bureaus. But 
depending on the state you live in, it could very well be free. If you live in Indiana, that's the case. It doesn't cost you anything to freeze or unfreeze your credit. And it is really fast to do. What that does is it prevents people from opening new lines of credit in your name. So if somebody swipes your credit card, it's not going to do much to stop anything at that point. It's just going to keep you from, uh, if you happen to have your, your identity stolen, your address, your social security number, anything that could be used to open a new line of credit is going to be prevented because you've frozen that. So any line of credit you currently have established, unaffected. You, you go about using it as, as uh, you normally would, but when it comes time to uh, maybe get a new mortgage because you're going to refinance, if you got to borrow some money for a car, whatever the case may be, you're going to have to unfreeze at least the the line the, the the scores at the bureaus or the reports at the bureaus that they're going to use and maybe just all three but it doesn't take long to, to freeze or unfreeze and it provides a pretty good core of protection for for your uh, financial safety my favorite part about freezing credit is that it removes your data from public purview that the credit bureau cannot then sell your data to people marketers more specifically who want to market things to you, advertise products and services to you based on the behavior and data that exists within your credit report. So Dame, that's what people don't understand is that when, when you're on Instagram or Facebook and, and you're like, oh, that's creepy. This, these people know this or that about me based on my clicking history. That thing has been going on for a very long time on a more traditional sense in terms of print ads and you know, emails a little after that. And it was all based on your credit and your buying habits. When you go to Target and swipe your debit or credit card, there's so many data points that are captured uh, in that moment. And those data points are sold to people who want to sell you things based on maybe your not so great behavior. So my favorite part is your data is removed from that process. It cannot be sold. You are also... Uh, essentially at that point, removed from all sort of pre-approved credit card offers, which I think is fantastic. And I will go as far as to say, Damien, there is zero excuse, zero excuse for, for not freezing your credit. I think every single adult within earshot everywhere should have frozen credit. It, it is reckless to not have frozen credit. It's as reckless as not wearing a seatbelt, not having a spare tire in your trunk or not carrying a cell phone with you. It is reckless. There you go. I think it also provides a nice little check against yourself as well. So as if you're getting ready to, you're doing some shopping and you, you go to a, a counter. You remember those days when you used to go into a store and go to a counter or a, a checkout aisle? They'd say, if you want to sign up for our credit card, we'll give you another 20% off. And you don't need that credit card, but you're maybe tempted by that 20% off. Well, what's one more credit card going to do? Is that really going to hurt me that much? Well, you don't need it. And if you know that you can't get it or you'd have to unfreeze your credit to get it, you're just going to say no thanks and move on. So th this could possibly prevent you from uh, a, a frivolous, frivolous decision that could end up hurting you in the long run. And like many good things, it does provide an element of inconvenience to your life. When my 11-year-old daughter started playing the violin this fall, we had to rent a violin. Why did we not buy one? Because kids grow and she was going to grow into another size within a year. So I didn't want to drop whatever it cost to buy a violin. So we rented one from a local music place. 
Of course, they needed to run our credit for a $20 a month violin payment. It never made sense. But anyway, and so that became a cluster as they came back to me and said, hey, can I... Uh, can you please unfreeze your credit? So we actually, they, they denied us at first. They were like, I'm sorry, you're declined. They didn't take the time to tell us that our credit was frozen. So we unfroze it. And that took about 90 seconds. They reran it and we were good to go. But, but Dame, on top of that, I guess let's take it a step further. How important do you think identity theft protection is on a formal basis as a product? I, <laughs> I like that sigh. Yeah, I... I don't think it has um, all the value that it's cracked up to be if your credit is frozen. If your credit is frozen, you're going to prevent um, a lot of the the instances that you may get caught into because if you uh, monitor your credit cards on a, a fairly regular basis just to make sure that nothing uh, that you don't know about is, is happening, whether it's uh, from somebody inside your own family or somebody who may have come across your your credit card information somewhere online, then you can prevent that stuff. And, and you're not going to be on the hook for things that you didn't charge anyway with a card. So um, if your credit card, if your credit, I should say, is frozen, I'm not a huge fan of, of that, that sort of protection. I like to think of it as if when you freeze your credit, you're locking your proverbial front door, right? You're, you're locking this uh, figurative front door. You're locking the door. If you have identity theft protection, you're not necessarily locking the door. The door is unlocked, but you've got a camera pointed at it and it says, all right, Hey, if someone walks in your door, we're going to, we're going to figure out what to do next. Uh, just lock the door. Yeah. Like if you want an extra camera feed beyond that, then, then have at it, but just know that your lock is much stronger than you think. Now, Dame, the, I think the real question and the tricky question gets to be, should you freeze your kids' credit, your your minors' credit? I don't, do you have thoughts uh, on that? If you want to take that step, I, I'm certainly not going to tell you no. I don't think it's a, a huge issue at, at this point. Who knows? Maybe it will be in another, another few years. But at, at this point, I think that's extra insurance if you want to go that far. Excellent. All right, Dame, coming up after the break, we've got a very long email. And now that I think about it, we probably should have done it in the second segment in case it was so long that we didn't have time to answer it. But, you know, we've been talking a lot about student loan forgiveness over the last couple of weeks, and, and this sort of gets into that idea. So we're going to tackle that next. Uh, thank you for listening this holiday season. We're going to, I think, do shows the whole year. We may take one show off around Christmas time. Uh, we'll see. We'll keep you posted. But you can always listen at PeteThePlanner.com, grab the podcast, or watch us live on Facebook, noon Eastern on Fridays. Coming up after the break, the longest email question in the history of the show. I'm Pete the Planner. Back on the Pete the Planner show, answering the longest email question in the history of the show. I'm Peter Dunn. Damian Dunn, no relation, joins me now. Good day, Pete and Dame. I'm writing with a less of a tactical question, but more of a philosophical one. How do you balance empathy with a commitment to personal responsibility? Before I go any further, Dame, and I should not probably do a lot of asides here because uh, we don't have time for that. I've actually asked myself this question a lot in the last five or six years. Interesting. I, I really have. I, I, and uh, I'll just say this. I've chosen as of late to err on the side of empathy Whereas I used to err on the side of personal responsibility. Like if it is the scales of mm -hmm. injustice, 
sure. then where, where should you put, uh, anyway, I feel like my outlook on the latest student loan forgiveness chatter is an outlier, particularly with people from my generation of millennials and makes me seem heartless. I don't think there should be student loan forgiveness, at least not a blanket amount to be to a blanket population. Of course, I want there to be help for folks who need it, unemployed, et cetera. But I think it's a symptom of a much larger issue that needs to be addressed. In 2010, I graduated from college, first generation college student with $65,000 in student loans. Then with medical debt and a car loan, I had $82,000 in debt. After college, I accepted a job making $23,000 at a nonprofit. And in 2013, I picked up a second job working retail to make ends meet and pay off my debt. I worked every single Saturday and Sunday and often weeknight after my full-time job for four years. Then I became debt-free and I haven't looked back. I'm not saying that everyone should go as extreme as I did, but where's the personal responsibility? I could have gone to a much more affordable school, applied to be an RA, RA, or even not taken out as many student loans, but every step along the way was a choice. I keep coming back to your thought of how young people sometimes almost expect a level of comfort that they had that their parents how, uh, at their parents' house. I don't necessarily want anyone to have insurmountable struggles, but I don't understand how many of these younger folks expect all these nice things to come without some challenges, sacrifice, and or grit. I can't get back to my four years. Uh, I can't get back my four years of weekends or holidays I missed with family or social functions with my friends. I've had housemates my entire life so far. I've made sacrifices for my financial health and to own the choices I made. I know of many younger people who have student loan debt. They're living beyond their means. I feel like my taxes would be funding their lifestyle, a lifestyle I didn't really have because I prioritized my debt rather than their education. Real talk, Pete. I'm being an unempathetic jerk, am I? I look to your financial wisdom because it always has a component of empathy in it and what I strive for in my philosophy too. Thanks for any thoughts you might have. If you uh, want this, please don't use my name. Well, I won't use your name. Ron Ferguson. No, I'm just kidding. That's not your name. <laughs> Dame, I feel you. I, I feel this person. I, I feel like we talked a little bit about that last week. I, I will start with this. And, and it's something I come back to a lot. The lens of perspective that we all individually have um, is often the only lens we can look through. And so what seems as though it's a logical step to decide a philosophy of student loan forgiveness, and while it is a very cogent, well-thought-out email, I, I just have to say, it's not that simple. I used to think it was this simple. I used to think, well, um, you're going to have to hustle, you're going to have to struggle, and the fruits of your labor will be the byproduct of all your hard work. But unfortunately, it, it, it's, it's just not that simple. That's not to say there should be blanket student loan forgiveness, because I also don't believe that. I, I think a, a lot about what Craig P. Anderson said last week on the show. Uh, in relation to this topic about how we, if we're going to have any student loan forgiveness, we need to make sure that the policy gets into the hands of people who need it the most. Um, I don't think this emailer is being unempathetic. I, but I also not sure they're fully taking into account that people who may have had it much, much worse than their upbringing. I've thought a lot about that conversation with Craig last week as well. Um, 
and I agree that a, a blanket policy, much like some of the other things that we've seen in the last eight or nine months, uh, can be very, very valuable to some and completely unneeded by by others. And but yet they're they're covered uh, just the same as the person who desperately needs the relief. So is student loan forgiveness um, the right thing to do or the empathetic thing to do? Well, yes, in some cases, it probably is absolutely the right thing to do. However, to the uh, emailer's point, there's a number of people that can take care of it themselves. If they make some sacrifices, if they struggle a little bit, uh, the comment about uh, students expecting the same level of lifestyle when they graduate from college uh, that they experienced when they were juniors and seniors in high school is dead on. I know I didn't exactly fall there, but I wasn't far off. I expected to have a nice size house shortly after I graduated. And, uh, you know, wife and I have cars when we got married and all, all sorts of good stuff and not have those, um, you know, young twenties struggle time periods where you, you just, you got to figure out a way to make it work. And Pete, you know, as well as I do that some of the most valuable growth a person can have is when you have to just figure it out and you have to make sacrifices. It doesn't mean it's going to be pleasant. It doesn't mean it's going to be something you want to repeat because if you, if you do it right, you, and you'll learn your lesson, you probably won't have to repeat it. Um, but I don't think struggling is something necessarily to be avoided if you find yourself in it. Yeah, I would say this. I think oftentimes when we're trying to think through a polarizing and complicated situation, we think about the most extreme examples and take those examples as the majority occurrence, right? We we see, oh, well, this person you know, lived in a really nice apartment on went on spring break and used their funds to do this or that. They, they partied all the time. And that makes me mad. Right. And so therefore, uh, I'm mad at anyone that has done that. And that must have been a lot of people if the student loan problems is that bad. Yeah, you know, uh, I used to kind of think that way, too. I think a lot of that same sentiment um, exists as you look at unemployment benefits, very frankly. <laughs> I think we've learned this year that there was a big group of people in our country who were more upset that some people were taking advantage of the unemployment coverage, which, by the way, some people were taking advantage of it in a, in a very uh, predatory way. They were more upset than that about that than the fact that the program was serving people who really needed it really badly. And I, I was thinking through this uh, on my workout this morning, Dame, and I don't know why I chose to bring up the fact that I was working out this morning, but now I've just wasted 20 seconds. You know, uh, it's really complicated that sometimes we have to feel like we need to feel bad about the way other people's other people do things to justify how we feel about ourselves. And I feel like if you have to demonize people who uh, made poor decisions around student loans and then group a bunch of people into that situation to make yourself feel better or a bunch of unemployed people that they're somehow unmotivated to get back to work, then you're wasting a lot of time because all these people aren't trying to take advantage of the system. They're just try trying to merely survive. And it's the extreme elements of those groups that you're spending way too much attention and time on. 
that's that's my feeling. Yeah, people have been taking advantage of benefits forever uh, at this point, and with some of the things that we've done recently, we we've had to cast a very broad net, and some people have uh, been able to um, benefit from it that maybe shouldn't have. But the core of the idea, uh, the core of the benefit, was to help people who needed it, and they got some help. I just think back to. June and July, some of the conversations that you and I were having as you and I, well, more you, we're talking to, you know, sometimes dozens of people a day who are in some of the worst situations you and I've ever heard of in our careers. And there was just this big drum beating how all these unemployment benefits needed to end because people were disincentivized to go back to work. And the reality of the situation was that was the minority situation. So coming up after the break, uh, more of this show. Biggest waste of money of the week and more. I'm Pete the Planner. This week's biggest waste of money of the week, right here on the Pete the Planner show, is the Buster and Punch machined whiskey tray. Whether you're drinking something special or just sipping on an everyday pour, this tray provides a sophisticated boost to having a glass of the good stuff. The set features a machined plate made from solid, solid brush steel, brass, or black metal, and includes two hand-blown crystal rocks glasses that fit snug on the plate, which becomes specifically handy if you've had a couple too many. Lincoln, ask your dad about that. Uh, a great gift for the classy drinker in your life. The set arrives in premium gift packaging. Dame, um, you know I enjoy a beverage or two. And yesterday, I with some pecan pie, I had a pour of Elijah Craig single barrel single uh, batch barrel proof at 122 proof, which was a bit hot. Could have used some ice or some water or something. But Dame, how much do you think two crystal glasses on a machine tray cost somebody? $120. Ooh, that's a fantastic guess. $175. That seems like a bit much because I'll be honest, at some point in time, if you're trying to get your drink on, you can just pour it into like an old shoe. Just don't pour it into like a Tiva sandal. I got to tell you, that's probably pre-Black Friday pricing too. So my 120 is feeling pretty good. You know what? Let me click on the link right now <laughs> and see if there's a Black Friday sale. Oh, Dame, there, there is a sale. It's and? on sale for 140 I I'm looking better by the minute. Well... With pricing, Dame, what's in the news this week? Uh, the Dow Jones Industrial Average crossed the 30,000 mark for the first time last Tuesday after more than a century of tracking the stocks of big U.S. companies. The blue chick, uh, blue chick, blue <laughs> chip, blue chip indexes up and downs uh, tell the daily story of financial markets for many on Main Street, but it's not always representative of the health or direction of the overall market. The Dow tracks 30 stocks of large U.S. companies and includes all major industry sectors except utilities and real estate. So my question to you, Pete, is has the Dow always had 30 stocks in it? No, it has not. Want to guess what, it, what, what uh, the, the number originally was? 100. 12. Wait, right. In some languages. Yes. Yes. Dave, uh, I, I have to say, um, I know culturally 
the Dow hitting 30,000 means something to some people, right? I mean, it absolutely does. It, it meant something to me. Uh, uh, it meant something to you and the things we follow. I just, you know, and, and not that you're celebrating it more than you should. You're bringing it up because it's news, because it's the things that you and I follow. But for for how it was presented last week in a few different elements, you got to read the room. You know, you got to read the room. It's like there's a I don't know if anyone really, really cares that much. And and that was interesting. No, it was just a a, a sign along the road on your journey. And it's happened to be 30,000. It was 30,000 was no different than twenty nine thousand nine hundred ninety five for the majority of America. There's also this idea of like, well, there were several records under, you know, this administration or that. And, and, and now that not to talk about the current administration, but any administration, the idea that they're like, well, it's a new record. It's like, well, yeah, that's what the stock market does. It it keeps going up and then it goes up above what it was up and it'll go back down. But then it goes up and then goes up again. So like how many times it broke a record? Yeah, I, I, it's a weird thought. I don't care if there's a donkey or an elephant in the White House. I just want that thing to keep averaging up. And if I just it happens, need 8% a year. Just give me 8% a year. It's all yeah, I want. It's yeah. all I need. Yeah, lock it in. Well, Pete, there was there was a massive 14-hour line in Colorado as they got their first In-N-Out burger. How many times have you and I had In-N-Out burger together? Just once, but it was glorious. Oh, my God, it was. Where were we, Arizona? Arizona. Yeah, I love In-N-Out burger. I really do. But to wait in line for 14 hours, how does one even do that? It was estimated to be one and a half to two miles long, and they thought they'd sell 60,000 burgers at that location that weekend. And so this is in uh, Colorado, like Aurora, Colorado? Is that Aurora, right? yeah. This was specifically the Aurora location. Was everyone high there and didn't know that they opened the next day too? Or they, did people think this was like a one-day pop-up thing that you had to get in and out? <laughs> yeah. Very well. Uh, that'd be amazing, though, just to pop up in and out a food a food truck in and out that comes to your uh, your town and just mm. sells burgers out of the truck. Uh, for those in and out aficionados out there, double double's the way to go. Animal style? Don't, uh, no, just just normal. I, I don't do all the things. I'll tell you this: you can skip the fries. Keep the fries. You order them and just throw them out, and you're you're definitely going to want a side by side milkshake, though. Oh yeah, milkshakes, uh, perfect pairing with the In-N-Out Burger. Especially if you consume six thousand one hundred calories on Thanksgiving Day, as Damien revealed during the break. What's another fifteen hundred calories, Pete? Do you remember? I think we've talked about this on the show. The first time all the uh, online nutritional information started coming out on the internet, and then you went and calculated like a typical meal that you'd have at a, a restaurant that you like. I, I remember calculating my steak and shake meal when that was a viable entity. Uh, my 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 bacon and cheese double large cheese fry and a chocolate shake it was something crazy like 2800 calories it's absurd which is like a third of what you had on thanksgiving did you pair that up with the amount of exercise it would take to burn that amount of calories like you could have three oreos but you're gonna have to jog for 40 minutes to burn those three oreos off i started having that meal when i was a teenager and i was very active athletically and i could justify it but then i continued having that meal deep into well, my 20s and 30s. And so, no, I, thought, I should have done that. Thought really you were going to say deep into last year. I gave up on steak and shake. I got to be honest. I know we're not here to throw particular brands under the bus, but if they gave up on me. I gave up on them. 
Wow. Sounds like there might be some issues left unresolved there. I will say the former CEO's name was Peter, Peter Dunn. Dunn. Yeah. Yeah. Long story. Anyway, go ahead. What else? Uh, Scott Peterson, along with thousands of California inmates, carried out a staggering amount of COVID fraud. <laughs> Tens of thousands of prison and jail inmates, including convicted serial killers, notorious inmates like Scott Peterson, and more have carried out what prosecutors described Tuesday as possibly the largest fraud scheme in California history. Their alleged crimes, which center upon pandemic unemployment benefits, could total as much as $1 billion American dollars according to Sacramento County District Attorney Ann Schubert. So th there's a lot going on with this story. Number one, the lack of oversight that allowed this to happen is disconcerting to say the least, which also actually oddly goes back to our last segment discussing those sorts of things. Uh, the second thing is, is like, so what now? Are they going to put them in jail? Are you going to... Uh take away one of their meals or make sure they only get uh, half the time at the commissary? I, I don't know. What, what do you do? How do you punish them here? Did you see one of the write-in names that someone used to apply for the benefits in the story? Yeah, I, I, there were a number of uh, things that were applied for. Uh, Social security numbers were used. Names like John Doe, John Adams, and in one case, Poopy Britches. Poopy Britches? Got unemployment benefits. Wow. Mr. Britches. Well, I don't, I actually, I don't know the gender of the That's name. That's true. You don't. Of poopy. Uh, Damon, it occurred to me uh, as we wind the show up here this week uh, that this show will air on November 29th, which is my birthday. And so as a birthday surprise to all listeners, my mom, uh, I wanted to say, Hello. I don't know. I have nothing to say. It just occurred to me as we're sitting here that my birthday is the day that this thing airs. So I, I was going to wish you a happy birthday because of the same reason. So okay. happy early birthday or happy birthday, depending on when you're listening. As my much older, not brother, I, it means a lot to me. All right, Dame, uh, we are going to try to do several shows over the break. Please join us on the Friday live streams on Facebook. We have a lot of fun uh, between the segments. We're going to have some special guests coming up that Craig P. Anderson uh, special interview we did last week between the segments. Really really set the standard of what we're going to be doing going forward. Dame, have a good rest of your holiday break. To all of you, thanks for watching or listening or downloading. We appreciate and love you. Send you good vibes because good vibes are all that's in the budget. I'm Pete the Planner. This is the show.